Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. If this is your first time listening, hey, thanks for coming. The 805 Conversations podcast is produced every other week. Please subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming shows. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and continued encouragement. And thanks to our podcasting partner and co-host, Patrick from Pull String Press. I love recording these shows here. Hey, Patrick, good morning. Hey, Mark. We're on a roll. We are. We are. Uh, I think our frequent listeners know that we record two or three shows or four shows, sometimes back to back. And uh, we have with us today Jeff Green, who is the CEO of the Santa Barbara City College Foundation and recognized a few years back as the top community college in the nation? 2013, uh, recognized, actually, we have to be honest, it was a tie uh, with Walla Walla College up in Washington State. But yes, uh, Aspen Institute uh, deemed us the nation's best community college at that time. So we have 42 countries on listening (coughs) here, so not people who might not be familiar Mm -hmm. with the college. Oh, I thought you were going to say not familiar with Walla Walla, Washington. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking as a, you're a Washington State person, right? Hometown Washington boy, yeah, Yeah. I love Walla Walla. Great, great onions. That's true. (laughs) What was it about, what it, I mean, I... I've been here since 1972, so I have my own thoughts of City College and both kids and all of that. What do you, what do you think is that the core thing about City College that has gotten it that kind of recognition? Well, I, I think that it's a confluence of factors. I, it's long standing been recognized as one of the great educational institutions in the region. Uh, we have a caliber of faculty that is well above. Uh, even the already ac- excellent normal that you would find across the state in the community colleges. I think that's partly that you have, there, over a period of years, you've had faculty leave other institutions to come teach at Santa Barbara City College. And oftentimes those were the, the faculty members who <clears throat> went to a research university uh, but realized that actually their love wasn't the research or the other pieces of that role, but they really wanted to be teachers. And, and if you want to be a teacher in higher education, California's community colleges are the best place to be. Uh, it's it's a truly open access system. Uh, it's part what of. What does the, that mean? Well, the uh, you may have heard our some of our past presidents say uh, we accept the top one hundred percent of applicants. Uh, there's <laughs> <laughs> that's one way to look at it, and and oftentimes we all know that other institutions measure themselves along how you know what percentage of applicants did they accept and what what's that top slice. And the community colleges were set up to be available to everyone at all times essentially. I see. Got it. And so you have that op- open access model, you have a 1960 uh, higher ed plan that really enshrined the tripartite higher ed system in California. So you have your UCs, your CSUs and your community colleges. Uh, the community college system in California is actually the largest higher education system in the western world, may well be what? in the world. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, the system is actually, we've got 113 campuses uh, at the peak of enrollment in 2007, 8, 9, that, that area, uh, that, that, that uh, time period, you actually had 2.6 million students in just California community colleges, which means basically a quarter of all community college students in the nation were in California community colleges. So the incredible diversity, the incredible uh, 
history of just making this place accessible. And then on, on lay on top of that, Santa Barbara City College in particular, you have these faculty members coming from, we have an incredibly high concentration here of higher ed institutions. So there were right. people nine, flocking to it. Nine within walking distance, it exactly. feels like. Um, it, you know, great, great leadership over the years, um, a resource base, and this is where sort of my role comes in, of private support that can augment what the public dollars do. And that, of course, has built some things that never could have been built from just the public funding stream. Uh, so you, you have a lot of things coming together. It's, it doesn't hurt that it's a beautiful place. Right. I was going to say, you um, should have just <coughs> opened with The View. <laughs> Obviously, The View. No, try not to <laughs> lead with The View. Yeah. <laughs> it's too easy. It's such an it's, easy It's guy. easy. Yeah. It's easy. Yeah. And, for, of course, UCSB has it, too. I was a UCSB guy, so I... Yeah. So um, for people who don't, <coughs> don't know, um, City College is up on a, a bluff... And it overlooks the harbor and the the city yeah. and uh, it, it, I fed my family, my young family. I lived up on on Cliff Drive, uh -huh. and we would walk to the the cafeteria there because it's got a world famous uh, culinary program. Correct. And for seven dollars, would feed all four of us all as much as we could. Now this is forty years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, kids are grown now. Um, not outing my daughter's age, so she can't yell at me right now. But the food was so good, and and I would sit in that dining room, and I would think, how the heck does anybody get any work done up here? Because <laughs> the the view is, and maybe it's more transcendental that I can sit and, you know, I get that, and it puts me in a right place to study. But mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it is a beautiful spot. I mean, it, there, you can't deny that that's an attraction. Uh, it's much like, I mean, there's a handful of coastal campuses in California that could probably claim that. But I, I do think that SBCC happens to just have an amazing uh, physical home base. I, I think the other piece there is that we were a long, had a long-standing matriculation agreement with UCSB, which of course has long been an outstanding uh, institution in its, in its own right and is, is only increasing in, in that um, in, in recent years. And the transfer program at, at City College was designed to basically prepare students to go on to a UC, but one of the close relationships with UC Santa Barbara, uh, another place that you know attracts students. Uh, sure. And so, so it's a there's just so much going for it, and uh, it's it's something that I've frankly learned a lot about recently because I was not a, U, a City College student. I was a UCSB student when I came to town 27 years ago. Do you you don't but you don't let anybody know that right? Because that would be. I'm afraid I just did. Oh. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. We're not recording. I've been called I, I've been called a traitor by my gaucho brethren. You but have not. No. That's terrible. That's <laughs> no. no, no. You. It's uh, not so a competitive relationship. I I want to, you know, I I love the Google because we can learn so much <laughs> stuff. I want to hear about your time at Yosemite as a park ranger. That was my dream job, and I got it. That was your dream job. When I was growing up, I, I come from a family of teachers. So my mother is a now-retired, uh, lifelong sixth-grade teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, my father actually was juvenile probation officer and high school counselor. Uh, my uh, uncle is a college professor. My brother is now a faculty member, uh, college professor. My dad, Several of my aunts are high school teachers, uh, one in special ed, one in English. So I, I grew up in education wow. as a wow. priority, and uh, so there's never a... a doubt that I was going to go on into some higher ed myself and that yeah. I really did enjoy the the teaching and training uh, sort of work. Uh, and I thought for me, the perfect combo was the outdoors because I, I was I love the sciences, but I'm also I'm a I'm not a good special. I'm a generalist to the extreme. So I like to know a little bit about everything. And I liked a place where you could knit it all together. And, and the National Park Service growing up, I spent just months and months camping and hiking and 
canoeing and the outdoors, and uh, Yosemite was was sort of the the heart of that. And so I always said I would love to be a an educator, an outdoor educator, and in the woods and Yosemite Park Ranger is pretty much the best you can do there. So I got to do that for a few years. But how did you, so, okay, that, that's fine. So why did you leave being a park ranger? Yeah. Why are you not a park ranger anymore? You know, honestly, it was, it became a sustainability problem. Sure. I was uh, there during a time, uh, I, I, so I started, I was an intern in the summer of 1993. Mm. And then I was offered the job uh, paid position the following season. I actually declined it because I'd gotten into student politics and organizing, and I, I'd been elected to a, a student body role at UCSB, and I decided I had to choose, so I said I'll stay and do that. The next summer I tried again, and to, with my, to my great luck and fortune, I, I was offered the job again. So I went up and did a couple of seasons, and then I worked year-round for a couple of years. But it was during the time when, uh, much like the recent uh, Obama-Boehner showdowns, these were the Gingrich-Clinton showdowns mm-hmm. where the government shutdowns mm-hmm. did, did occur. And if you work for the federal government and there's a government shutdown, you quite literally get a call that says, stay home, we'll tell you when it's over. Um, there were no permanent jobs. There were no benefits. Uh, you basically worked season and, and rolled into the next season. If you had a supervisor that had your, your back, you could, uh, you could make a living there. But it, there was no stability. I didn't, I didn't have mm-hmm. any indication that I would, um, that, that I would not know more than about three to six months out that I could stay. So I, wow. I decided to come back to Santa Barbara for a number of reasons, but I left in 97. I, I want to ask you, you said I'm a generalist to the extreme. Mm-hmm. I also know, and there are people... People are getting to know you right now, but people who do know you as uh, a leadership coach, a consultant, you ran the fund for Santa Barbara for almost 18 years. You're, you know, highly regarded as a leader in, you know, in the area. And I'm curious about the coaching that you would give someone around focus and being focused on one thing which we hear a lot. I, I get it all the time. You got to be focused on one thing, Mark. You got to pick one thing. And you just said, no, I'm, I'm a generalist in the extreme, which means, you know, you're interested in a lot of different things. How do you square those? I, I get the advice about, you know, whether it's the Jim Collins hedgehog principle or whether it's uh, some newer version of that. I, I get that advice. I, I understand where it comes from. For me, I am. I want to see how it all fits together. I, I think things are always more complex than they appear at first glance, and so my nature is to try to figure out what are all the pieces, how do they fit together. Um, I think if you want to, if you want to say one thing, you can focus. I could argue I'm focused on one thing, and I think it's you know social justice issues and equality and and access uh, for for folks to to be their best selves, whatever that means. But, but that's obvious. I mean, you go one layer deeper than that, and it's complicated. So you're talking about economic systems. You're talking about education. You're talking about uh, legal frameworks. You're, you're talking about all kinds of things. And I, that's where, why I say I'm a generalist, because I really like to pick it apart and figure out uh, what's happening and, frankly, figure out where I can be useful. Because, you know, any one person, um, and certainly myself, can't always be useful in, in all those different fields. But I, I can figure out, ah, this is something I can, I can contribute. And I like to know where... Uh, where the other resources are to get something done. Uh, so, I, and that's that's something to me that keeps me excited about any given role or work. They say that you don't hire the <clears throat> consultant for what they know; you hire them for who they know. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, and yeah. it's it, you've got it. You've an amazing network, right? Yeah, and that's probably something I do well that I could, I have learned how to make use of. Is that I because I like to figure out who's who's doing what, where, and when. Uh, if something, you know, someone, if we're in a, you know, board retreat or, you know, some 
some place that I frequently find myself uh, or a community meeting or what have you, I can pretty quickly uh, answer the question of, so who's working on X? And that's what I loved about the work at the fund. I mean, the, the fund truly was, uh, is, but you know, in my time when I can speak firsthand, it was the hub of the progressive organizing resource work in the community. So it didn't really matter what issues you were concerned about or what your organization was so much as that if you needed help in any of these ways, obviously funding, because that's what we were about is moving dollars, but equally to that, and that probably became equal during my time there, is is the non-cash resources. So the knowledge of who to reach out to, right, right, how do you access right. certain people or resources. And, and that to me is a really valuable thing to have sort of one step behind the front line. So you're not leading the work, but you're making sure that the folks who are have access to what they need. So I was on the board of the foundation for when I was at Wayfront for probably five years, mm -hmm. I guess, and met lots of lots mm -hmm. of folks in that. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, how did they get you? What was the what was the bait on the end of that hook that got you out of? I mean, you're in your wheelhouse at the Fund of Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. I mean, social justice. I mean, anybody who's not aware of what the work just go look it up, go listen to our episode. We, we did a whole episode on the fund. Mm -hmm. um, how did they get you pulled out and put into the college? Uh, we can be honest, right? <laughs> no one's listening. <laughs> I, I, was, I was getting ready. I had been at the fund almost 18 years, as you mentioned. Probably 10 years in is the first time I started to think about you know, how long do I want to do this? Uh, but I was every in an organization like that, in a community like this, every day is different. So it's not like I was ever bored or ever felt like I, I never went home feeling like I was done. Mm -hmm. I mean, you go home feeling like you got enough done so you can sleep that night, but you're not right. you're not just done. And and so it was a few years of thinking about it, looking around. I, I have fallen in love with Santa Barbara. Uh, I did not expect that. I'm from the Bay Area. I always assumed that I would go back there. I got into that position where I felt like the next thing I would want to do professionally was very likely not here because the, the fund was the best possible arrangement for my what I understood to be my skills and my interests at that moment. Um, and so I, I felt like, well, maybe I do stay a longer time. And, uh, and then I started thinking and looking around about what else could I do in this community and be of service and, be, and learn something new and be challenged. Uh, and this job uh, was open, and I was aware of it. I know the last six people to have it before me. And, and it all started actually with a, a conversation, a coffee date with the former uh, college president. And we just had went out to kind of get to know each other. And uh, this is Dr. Lori Gaskin. I'd seen her at a number of events. And we said, hey, let's go get coffee, as one does, as certainly I like to do. And in the midst of that, she brought up the idea, you know, the directorship at the foundation is open. And I said, I know. And she said, would you ever consider that? I said, no, I wouldn't, but I can help you find someone. And that was the end of the conversation, I thought. <laughs> uh, so that led to sort of this um, iterative process of having conversations about what they needed, who they were looking for, who was out there. And each time with the who is now my board of directors, I was... I would kind of challenge the notion that that I would be a good fit there because I didn't, I didn't see myself right, as that. Right, right. Uh, and ultimately, you know, I... I don't have to give you the long list, but I said, well, I, you know, this is what I think would need to be done, and this is how I would approach that. And, and it was very different than the historical norms there. Uh, but they convinced me that they welcomed that. They understood what I did and, and who they were talking to, and they really thought this was a good match. And I, they convinced me. I, I said, that's great, because here's a great new challenge in my hometown that I love. And for an issue that I certainly care about, I mean, education and access to it, there's no better place than you know, one of the world's great community colleges, I just, institutional fundraising was sort of the, um, the, 
how it was perceived. And I, I'm not, I could yeah, do that, right, but that wouldn't right. get me up in the morning. So because of the, it's a very unusual place. The foundation's a separate entity there. So in many ways, the, the most similar organization structurally, as far as what you need to think about and do every day to the SBCC Foundation is the Fund for Santa Barbara. It's, huh. it's a- Ironically. Yeah, ironically. It's a public 501c3 philanthropic organization that raises its entire annual operating and program budget every year. There's no endowment creating it. So you, you are actually playing both sides of that equation at all times. And that's something I got very comfortable with and excelled at at the fund. And it's something that's very unusual. And most people don't enjoy that. Because if you're an institutional fundraiser, you want to go you know, get the dollars for the institutional needs. But raising your operating budget is not necessarily done in the same way. Or <laughs> I, we've, we've had several nonprofit organizations on here, directors and executives, and, and yeah. that's always kind of one of the big rubs. And I'm trying to remember, we had one on here who said that there had been a gift given to them that, that gave them their operating budget mm-hmm. out, of, out of the gate so that that wasn't something they ever had to make yeah. an ask for. That happens. I mean, Hospice of Santa Barbara, there's, there's a handful of examples, uh, and some are grown over years. Um, if you look at uh, something like the Music Academy mm-hmm. of the West or... Right. Uh, I mean, there, there's fabulous examples where that happens over time. There's a handful where they're founded that way. Usually private philanthropy is founded that way. But uh, so it just, it, it all worked out to me that I, and I, th- I realized quickly that in, in all the social justice issues and economic issues and environmental issues that I cared about, access to education's in all of them. And, and I've kind of huh. always known that in the back huh. of my mind, but I was given an opportunity to work with that. And that's, that's where I am now. And I... I couldn't be happier. There's not been a day where I regretted the choice, um, and I'm really fortunate that I got to do all my my reverse research or whatever that was. What's uh, been the biggest surprise? In some ways, the biggest surprise is that even a a sophisticated, older organization such as the SBCC Foundation has the same problems, the same challenges as the tiny startup grassroots organizations <laughs> that I'd worked with for so long. So in some ways, it's very similar territory uh, and, and not always in good ways, sometimes in very challenging ways. Right, but in right. some ways, it's reassuring because I feel like all those things I know and have experience with firsthand over those you know, 18 years of the fund are absolutely relevant and applicable here. Um, but I do see it as more of an almost an organizing job and that's what I love about it is that I, you know I'm, my job is to organize community resources around this incredible institution that provides opportunity in a way that really very few if any others can um, it is immediately tied to everything that I care about around equity and access uh, I think that the gap between what the public dollars will do and what is needed for found for the college to do everything it wants and can do is is significant and that's our job is simply to fill that gap build the relationships bring right, the dollars right. and in some cases innovate and and that was what I wasn't oh. sure about I didn't think that we were my my outsider impression was that the foundation was not um, in a position to uh, lead a programmatic anything um, but I, that's not true and they the college leadership has absolutely welcomed uh, the, the SBCC promise being the tangible example of late, that, and that to me was the big test of okay, if I lay that out for somebody who might not know what the SBCC absolutely. So promise programs are uh, there's about a ten year. It's, it's in some ways it's a very old idea. It's basically completely paid for open access to higher ed for everybody. I mean that's the concept is that everyone in in 2017 should have access to higher education. We um, have the facilities, we have the brain trust, why aren't we yeah. giving? And, and certainly dollars should never be an obstacle. Right. And that's the, that's the sort of 
philosophical basis. San Francisco um, just did this. San Francisco is part of the, you know, the, this development, it's taken off. And if you, if you jump back a century and you look at what was being debated in the United States at the time, uh, access to universal high, public high school was a debate. I mean, yeah. do, do people need it? Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and frankly, if you think about a rural economy, coming out of a rural economy into an industrial economy, there's, there's, a, there's a real debate there of, okay, if, if I can run the family business, uh, if I can farm because I was... You know, I was I'm useful at 15, 16. I exactly. Can... I can do this. So why do I have to go on to X years of public ed? And, and there was, you know, the elitism charges. All the things that echo today... Um, echoed then. And the difference is it's notched up a level. So instead of talking mm. about high school, you're talking about post-secondary ed. The beauty of the community colleges is that it is the everything version of post-secondary. So I think there is a legitimate critique that not everyone should go get a four-year liberal arts degree. Uh, it is not useful to everyone. Now, I, being a generalist, I love the, just the what, what it opens your mind to and what you learn from Spending it. Spending the time is right. worth it. But, right. it. but making an economic argument, I, I get that that's, that's real, that not everyone should have that. The old, the old, I mean, that's a relatively new one, too, the old system of, uh, you know, apprenticeships and trades and learning things by doing them from a, a you know, a, a master teacher. Uh, that is uh, as old as humanity, and frankly, we need to, re- you know, remember we that. We have a little more of that. Yeah. Well, yeah. because so. then we have the classic, the, the, current, the current argument against higher education that I hear a lot is that, that we're, we're kicking out students with, with useless degrees. Yeah. Because we're not, and, and then my inverse argument is saying we're not trade schools. This is not, this is not a vocational trade school with an attempt to say, like, we're going to teach you exactly how to build, or, you know, this right. one object. Right. Uh, or, or enter into the industrial, you know, right. like, like supply train. It's like saying that you're going to investigate the concepts around, right. you know. And that's where the, the community college is, is, is perfectly positioned because it does all the above. We're, you know, we're a pre- preparatory institution for transfer to higher ed and, and further academic track. We uh, do train people on absolutely marketable right now skills mm-hmm. and trades. The, you know, what's, what's currently the jargon is CTE, continuing technical ed. That's a huge part of it. So, um, so the promise, to get back to your question about the promise, the, yeah. the promise idea is simply that everyone should have access to that. In this day and age, everyone needs something beyond high school to be successful, to be able to pursue their dreams, to be able to, to uh, participate economically in their communities. Uh, and what we should have is the system in place so that everyone can do that. Everyone who wants to, to it. exactly. Right. And yeah. you don't. You can. You can opt out, but you should never be in a position where you say, "I can't afford it" or mm-hmm. "I don't have access to it." So the promise programs, the way they basically evolved is we've had ten years. Kalamazoo, Michigan, was the first in two thousand and five, and what happened there is they had a group of uh, private investors who simply they were they were private donors. They said, "Look, we'd love to have the public ed system reinvested in by our leadership. We don't see that happening tomorrow." Guess what? We can just do this on our own. So they put together the money. <laughs> Turns out the price is not huge. It's yeah. not as huge as the, as people think, and that's yeah. what got my attention. When yeah. I'll get to that part, but the 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 way the Kalamazoo did it is they said everybody in this city should have access to our public higher ed system, and we're going to just give the money to make that happen. So they developed it over the last uh, now twelve years. And in the intervening decade, from 05 to 15, you had 30-some programs develop like that. They were all mass. They were considered place-based mass scholarship efforts. Place-based um, mass scholarship. Yeah. They were uh, not a sexy term. Hence, the promise <laughs> jargon was developed. We need something shorthand. So I'm going to get that. Place-based. Yeah. yeah. So place-based mass, so broad mass scholarshiping. So basically, if you're in this place, you deserve this scholarship. It was sort of, that was the equation. You are a member of this community. You have participated as a member of this community, and that earned you something. And you check the box and you're in. So that's my version. What you just said, Patrick, is exactly what I think it should be. Over time, because of economic constraints, the 30-some programs that developed, 
often introduced um, different barriers thresholds in lieu of cash, right? So you had to have a certain GPA. So your high school performance yeah. was at mm-hmm. stake was a question. Uh, your family income, what well, you had to be measured in some way. Mm-hmm. Your, so there were different things, and I. I think very few of those were introduced because people thought that was the best way, but they said, we have to find some limit because we can't afford to do this for everybody, so let's say that anyone who did X was eligible. And do you think that that was their imagination, assuming that, well, if I just open the door, all 100 of these students will show up, but I can only afford 70, without ever trying to see, well, actually only 65 are going to show up? Uh, both. I mean, yeah. you had, and the beauty of this is you had 10 years of that kind of broad experimentation. So I had never heard of this until less than two years ago. <laughs> right. Uh, Quick study. Quick study. Actually, uh, truly, like two, actually two years ago, because it was, it was January 9th, 2015, that President Obama and Governor Haslam of Tennessee did a little press conference about the promise. So here you have the, the Democratic president of the United States, a Republican governor of a southern state, doing anything together is, is frankly right, remarkable right. At, at this political moment. And it's about education. And they're saying we want to incentivize this across the country. And that was the first time I'd heard the promise jargon. Uh, quickly after that, I learned that in California, there were three programs. Uh, uh, President Obama actually invoked one of them, and that was the, the Long Beach promise. But I learned that the other two, and actually the oldest one and the newest one of the three, uh, were our neighbors. So Ventura College started this mm-hmm. one year after mm-hmm. Kalamazoo, 2006. And then... Uh, Cuesta College had started it in 2013, and, and everything was, they were all radically different. So in, mm. in, in Long Beach, it was more of what I would call a thrive or strive model, which we've also attempted here, and that was more interlinking systems. So your K-12 system, everybody shared data, you tried to help people along the pathway. Very little about economic barrier, but more about, you know, guaranteed access. A uh, little bit of cash, you know, there was a first a semester and then a, a year of tuition offered to students. In Ventura, it was just the economics, and they did it with earned income. They actually had a swap meet that earned them over a million dollars a year, and they had the resources hmm. that could just say, well, we'll just take 250000 uh, and do it. In Cuesta's case, it was an $8 million estate gift that came out of the blue. They didn't know it was coming, and they I, endowed it. I know $8 million's oh. a lot. Yeah. But but on on the scope and scheme of like like big money like investments and foundations, yeah. that's what you were kind of saying about like like the Kalamazoo thing of like it turns out this number is yeah. achievable. I'm not saying it's a yeah. low number or that yeah. it's even mm, easily mm, achievable mm. number, but it's a number we can hit. Well, that's what got my so I Norbert Tan in in uh, Ventura and, and Shannon Hill, my peers at Cuesta and and, uh, and Ventura respectively. Uh, I just I started bugging them basically. I said, "Tell me, how do you do it? What did you? Right, how, where'd right. you start? Do you have any studies of your? Have you done a longitudinal study of the you know persistence level and achievement and completion levels for your students? You know, show me your financials. Because yeah, I need to be able to defend this <clears throat> exactly. Right, and right, I I right. just started digging and I got very excited. And uh, sure enough, I couldn't believe the price tag for what they were doing. And the beauty of again Santa Barbara, we have some privileges here, and one of them is we have the largest community college foundation in the state. I think we're uh, you know, based on asset size, they're the fifth in the country. So we're we're very large among our peer group as far as our ability to leverage. People are looking at you for how you're donors, doing. Yeah. And, right? So we can think of we can consider doing things that many many regions could do, but over, it would take longer and it would be much more work. And we can just say, ah, oh, let's do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a privilege. And to me, again, I always come back to this. You know, what's the old saying? To, to from those to much is given, much is expected. I yep. mean, I feel like if that's we right. have those resources here, we better be doing cutter, cutting edge work because. We're, we're supposed to be. We, doing we that. gave you a tax break as a community. You better be spending you it on. Bet. Yeah. That's what the nonprofit sector does. So I, I, well, you know, to jump to the punchline, we basically designed. Okay, what's the ideal version? If if money weren't a 
issue, what would you do? And we built it, and I looked at the price tag on that ultimately, which basically for our region, for given the capture rate, the size, the number of students, who enrolls, uh, we ended up, interestingly, the five-year-old average of local graduates who enroll at Santa Barbara City College is 805. Hey. I would have loved to call this the 805 promise, but that would have included Bakersfield and Thousand Oaks and other, yeah. we couldn't afford that. So uh, we, we call it the Santa Barbara City College promise, but it was basically $2 million a year to do everything. And this was the first one to say- <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but it's yeah. like, that's well, doable. And in this so community- So when you say do everything, what is everything? So this is the everything I speak of. So we were going to do what many regions were doing, which is offer, uh, Completely cover tuition for everybody, um, not but not just for one year, but for two years. So that was the amp without putting that like you have to do a semester, and then we'll see if you're okay, and then we'll bring yeah. you back. And uh, the second thing was all mandatory fees. So you have your enrollment fees, aka right. tuition, but then you have your mandatory fees for other things that are small, but they're there: health fee, student government fee, transportation fee. Um, and then on top of that, and here's the thing with community colleges, it's the books and supplies. That's the mm-hmm. biggest cost. Mm-hmm. I was teaching a class yeah, on my first day, and I swung through the bookstore to pick yep. up something that I needed for my first day. And I saw uh, a kid from a different mm-hmm. a different class painting kid, and I watched his debit card get declined, and I watched him walk out with no materials. And that happens every day. Yeah. And, and what happens is students who are on that edge, who barely can do it, you know, the, California is actually, and, and deserves credit, and I, I tend to be a, criti- <laughs> I get critical of, of larger systems when I don't think they're doing what they should. But I have to say, state of California, California legislature has been very good about keeping the tuition cost, that barrier is very low. In fact, of all the 50 states, the, the per unit charge to go to a California community college is the lowest. Mm-hmm. And it's $46 a unit if you're an in-state resident. But um, so that's that's still a barrier for someone living in poverty, but it's not the kind of barrier like what the thousand dollar textbook might be. Can I tell you just but but aside from everything else to have somebody at your position at your level know exactly what a credit costs at this school? Because that's that's so often a disconnect. You know, that's mm-hmm. that whole like gallon mm-hmm. of milk mm-hmm. president question. Right. Where it's like yeah. you need to know what that yeah. costs and you need to know what that you know, what that real that real yeah. impact is. So yeah, thanks absolutely. for that. And, 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 you know, we've just gone through this debate in the state about CSU and UC, once again, both both passing, raising, raising yeah. tuition. But we're not at the community colleges. So there's been a, a shift in focus. And there's an organization called TICUS, which is I, I credit with opening my eyes to a few things. It's the Institute for College Access and Success. They're a research organization out of the Bay Area based in, based in Oakland. And what they did is... Uh, is calculate the real cost attendance. So one sheeter they put out in February last year, and it, it said basically we're going to take the nine full-service UC campuses, partner them with the closest uh, Cal State University and the closest community college, so we have all three parts of the system, and calculate the actual cost to attend, including rent, food, and everything to live in that community. Fully loaded. Fully loaded, like everything you would pay to be a student in that community. The as, COA. You got it. And uh, you must have worked at a college. I did. <laughs> uh, and then you back out a pro rata share of available grant aid. So this is, the, this is where the magic math happens. Um, they basically said, what is all available grant funds? Not loans, but grants for students in this region. And, and, and let's just assume that each of the institutions, that uh, every student got an equal share. Of course, that doesn't happen. But let's just play that as the economic model. What you find is that community colleges, for many reasons, in six of the nine regions, they flipped and became the most expensive option, more expensive than the UC and more expensive than CSU when you mm-hmm. backed out the grant aid. And that's because the, the grant and financial aid systems that have developed over the decades actually 
favor, bias in favor of the CSUs and the UCs because of a lot of the assumptions that they are more expensive. Now, they are on a tuition basis, but really in most other ways, they're not. And so if most of the grant aid is going to those, they're a much smaller student body, um, and and not much of that grant aid. I mean, one of the statistics they use is 6% of Cal grants, which is the biggest California federal or uh, student aid program. 6% goes to the community colleges. And yet we have 90% of the students. Yeah, or yeah. that's not 80%, I think. Sure. But uh, and so there's just these disconnects about where student aid flows. Mm. And that's a misconception, as, as you've kind of stated, and I just want to say it again, is that that's yeah. a misconception about the kind of stature and status of a student getting an education at an accredited institution that is has a prestige of private or has a prestige of a yes. research institution versus right. this community college, which is, is treated as a, as a lesser tier, right. even though the accreditation requires the exact same right. level of education right. in the classroom. Right. You got it. And, and that's where the promise, so basically all of the, and, and I have to credit the political environment because if I don't know if we could have done this five years ago or five years in the future, but I know that in the 18 months, quite literally between January of 2015 and the middle of you know last year, the beginning of fall semester last year, we went in California alone from three promised programs to 25. Wow. Uh, and this is, and I'll name the factors that I think are responsible. You had uh, President Obama basically realize that on a policy and funding basis there were you know with a deadlock it with between the white house and congress there was going to be no money coming but still have the platform of the presidency so we'd go out and talk about it so we did that you had these bipartisan moments where you know the gov- the republican governor and the pre- democratic president get out there and talk about it so you cross that partisan line you have uh, student debt become a national fiscal issue right. and that's never right. been true i mean it, we've never been talking as a country about this just insurmountable $1.3 trillion debt load because that's a relatively new thing. You have the presidential campaign in 2016, which frankly, I mean, uh, Bernie Sanders as a candidate got most of the airtime on this. But actually, if you look across the spectrum at the the two major parties and all the candidates, there were seven different candidates on both sides who had some free college support access program in their platform. So it actually raised the profile Mm -hmm. during this really Mm -hmm. contentious political year. And then you had a number of success stories like Kalamazoo, who'd been at it for 10 years, starting to show real data and saying, look, this is what it can do. Does it? It does. I mean, that's, you know, we've kind of been dancing around this whole thing of like, you've created this program, you've you've clearly done research and a ton of work and investment. Um, So, so then let's, let's just hear the, the, the moment of why? Why? Okay, well, why should Santa Barbara care? This is great. There's, so there's three things. If, if you look at all the research today, there are three, the three strongest correlations between student success and, and completion rates um, and any other factors once you remove demographics. So demographics are huge. You know, being sure. first in your, in your family to go to college, um, living in poverty. I mean, there's a lot of things that are huge barriers. But if you were to equalize, you know, say, sort of take that out of the mix, what are the things you can do besides just changing the economic situation of the country? Um, and although education will ultimately do that is what the evidence suggests. But the, what can you do? Well, you can do three things. Full-time student enrollment is a major one. So full-time students do several times better by most measures than part-time students. Uh, so you have to build something to incentivize full-time student status. So that's what we considered here. Um, early enrollment. So as soon as you complete high school, go right into your next step, Don't whatever gap it is. Year. Don't or And there's a debate about the gap year concept. And there are, are cases where you could argue that actually – Doing something that's still, you know, educational, energizing, relevant during that year maybe, is good. Maybe my, my question would be there is, do you have some architecture over what you're going yeah. to do? 
Right. And don't get and if you can if you can find a way to not let life take, I mean, you know, people's right. responsibilities and in many cases having young families, uh, working multiple yep. jobs, that, <laughs> that stuff. Um, and then oh, the, yeah. the third yeah. is is to simply have um, the access to support, what they call supportive pathways now. But it's really, you know, have a counselor, an advisor, a mentor, an academic framework, you know, an education plan to get you through to the next step. If you can incentivize those three things, you can have a remarkable effects on student persistence rate, which is basically, did you stay enrolled semester to semester, quarter to quarter? Um, completion rates, like, did you ever finish one of those goals? I mean, did you get to the end of the AA program or the certificate program or the transfer program? And then finally, um, how fast did you do it? Because there's the other great correlation is the longer it takes, the less chance you'll ever finish. Right. And that's where the full-time student status comes in. So we basically said, we can, if we offer everything paid for beyond just your living expenses of being a member of this community, we have the best chance of convincing you to replace those extra work hours with right. extra study right. hours. Right. And that's really right. the bargain we're striking. And then everything else built around it to support it. Now, we're early. We only have one semester in. But we, I mean, we put it together and launched it in less than a year. And now we have our first semester cohort data that we're starting to look at and say, okay, how are we doing? What's, what's going to work here? What, but what, I'm sorry. What, what about, so this will make us a better community? You can guarantee? I, I'm playing oh, devil, the little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. This will I, make us a better community? I believe that this is an investment in the students themselves, obviously, but frankly, the economic health of the region, because every employer will tell you if they can hire from nearby in Santa Barbara, they're going to do it, because this is somebody who yep. already has yep. normalized yep. the cost of living here. They, yep. they found a way to make it work for them. They understand it. Um, you can incentivize, you, know, you can keep people longer. Cottage Hospital is a great example. They, they did a sure, study the on nursing program. their nursing program. And they're a major supporter of yep. the foundation I now yep. run, because they rely on our graduates yep. to staff their hospital. Um, That's and been so, booked for years. You can't even get into that program. Right. And they, they finally found a solution to that. So the waiting list, that yeah, it peaked out at like five, six right. years. It's right. now down to basically a semester, or oh. and it depends on the specialization, but it's it's very small. Um, so you can you can do all that. So yes, I would say economically, it's an investment. I think it's if you do it right, it's also a, an economic an investment in civic infrastructure. It's, yep. it's engaging students in, yep. in the community in ways. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of work there. And it doesn't just magically happen. And putting the dollars in front of somebody doesn't change it. But it, it's a great step forward. And I do think that we'll be able in the long run to show that. If we're putting basically 1,500 students a year through this program, local students, um, you know, in 10 years, you've got 15,000 students who've gotten access to this. And that, in a community of our size, that's a major that's a impact. a lot of people. Here, here would be my argument of success there, yeah. is, that, is that there's a real brain suck that happens with the university, that when mm -hmm. you graduate from the university, yeah. you haven't normalized living here, and so you just leave. <clears throat> you go back to someplace right. else. Whereas these graduates from the community college are going to be back into the community. They are, are so laced Far in. more likely. And Far many likely. of them, I think there's a thousand, you, you know the exact number, High school students who are going to City College. Oh, simultaneously, yeah. 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 The What's dual that enrollment. program called? Dual, dual enrollment, enrollment programs, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, uh, some of the best students I ever had. Mm -hmm. uh, but unfortunately, and, and you know this because you were 10 years in public affairs radio, <laughs> we, we've come to the end of a show, right? <laughs> Yeah. You know this. You do I the do. radio. There's uh, there's clocks. There are clocks. Right? There's time. We've I wasn't looking at one. We should but have, I have one in here, maybe. We <laughs> no. no, no, we no, no. I love this. This conversation took. I did. You know, I was on the. I learned a lot. Good. I learned a lot. Uh, Patrick says he loves coming here because it's like going to school. Because the people we get to talk to. You talk to a lot of folks. We yeah. do. 
We do. And a lot of people you know and a lot of people that know you, um, they're going to appreciate getting to know you a little bit better. No, than we they. didn't learn anything about him. We have, Yo- n- we have, known, yeah. we have he, no knowledge. He knows Yogi the Bear. Well, he, he didn't tell me that. I, he said I was a park ranger. The only thing we know yeah. more about Jeff Green that we couldn't find out online is that he was a park ranger. Yeah. And probably even that's online. It is online. We don't, know, is, what kind, we don't know what kind of ice cream he likes. We but, don't know how he takes his hot dog. We don't know. Oh, my god! All sorts of things that we didn't find oh, we out. we didn't even ask. No, because we're we going to have to have him back. We were tricked and fascinated by the incredible social justice work that he does uh, for the for Santa Barbara. Thank you. So, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And um, sp- you know, I'm going to put my TEDx Santa Barbara hat on. Mm-hmm. One of the three threads that we're going to talk about this year, one is the ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is innovation or invention. Are we doing more or less of one or the other? And I have a bias, but I want to hear other people. But the other one is social justice. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested in human trafficking. Mm-hmm. And oh, wait, wait, you might rephrase how you said that. How I'm You're concerned. In learning. I'm, I'm concerned uh, about yes, human thank trafficking. You. Thank you, Professor. Uh, <laughs> I am concerned about human trafficking as it relates to ag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and what we have here. And, yeah. and I don't, I know nothing about it, but the th- great thing about being a curator is I can go out and find people. So I'm going to, I am going to be, you know, talking to you about that and, and have your radar lit for some people, mm-hmm. some, some strong voices yeah. to come and talk about that. Cause I think that that's. There are people uh, doing some really important, good work on, on solving human trafficking in, in our region right now that Boom. we can talk about. Okay. Done. Thank yeah. you. And so now it's on the record. I, I did say it. that on yeah, the, into did, a microphone. Yeah, it was, and, I was recording. And so we can find you at sbcfoundation.org. sbccfoundation.org. That's our homepage. And, and SBCC Promise, which we are, of course, talking about much of this time, uh, we have a separate page just for the promise so that people can understand how it works and and if they're an eligible student, how they can get into it. I, I love that. I love the ecosystem around that. Again, I've been involved. The kids have been involved. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a bright, shining gem in our community. Yeah. And for those of you who are not in the community, um, just think about uh, what you might be able to do uh, with your local school. Go mm-hmm. be a mentor. Go work with a professor. Go build uh, partners in education is another good Absolutely. example. I ran that mm-hmm. for many years. Um, I just, you're right, education, when you ask the question, how does this help the community, in talking to the Santa Barbara Foundation at the very beginning of 805 Connect, which kind of started all this, she said, Mark, it's, a, it's really about education. That's the root yeah. of all of these things. If we can fix that, it, it helps on poverty, it helps on crime, it helps on so many other things. And you don't, unless you're in that world like you have been, you don't really connect those dots as a civilian right but know that there are smart people like jeff out there doing that for you and uh, you can appreciate that i also want to thank california lutheran university school of management and tolman and weicker insurance services and our podcasting partner pull string press if you're interested in partnering with our podcast drop us a note partner at 805connect.com now we forgot one thing Patrick. I, <laughs> I didn't forget it. <laughs> I know you didn't. I did. Yeah, go when ahead. When I said we, it was the royal we. I, that's fine. Right. Yeah. Um, we at there we have a particular listener's name is Max. And Max hates it if I don't give the guest the opportunity to name the show. 
And Max is a, one of the world-famous freedivers, and he'll actually come up for air and shout at me <laughs> if I've not done this. Is he freediving with his iPhone? I, I, I believe that he could be. He's figured it out. Oh, good. Yeah, okay. Because he, right. he wants to listen to the show. Hi, Max. What would we call this show, Jack? Are you talking about your show in general or this, this conversation? Title, episode. This episode. We're going to put a bow around it. There's 130-plus mm. to pick from. Someone's listen came in through another door, and I thought, what should I listen to next? Oh. I have about the promise of higher education. Perfect. Okay. I was going to say it's Jeff with a G. <laughs> I'm never. I'm never going to win that. But yes, it is Jeff with a G. Yes. I love that. The promise of higher education. I love it. That's and good. I'm Mark with a K. Yeah, double entendre intended. There you go. There yeah. we go. Thank you so much. And uh, I would love to hear from you, Patrick. Yeah. What now? Someone who's listened. Now we know Max is listening. Oh, obviously. But the other people that are listening. How could they help the show? Sure, of course. As usual, if you've ever heard the show before, uh, you know what I'm about to say. Uh, but if you haven't heard the show before, yep. then that means you should go back through our back catalog, oh. take a look at all of our other shows. We have uh, just every topic. You name a topic. We interviewed uh, a guy this morning about the business of dirt, which I think it was so good. And you would oh. think, I mean, he sat down and, and, and built. thank you for being here. Uh, but I had a moment of panic because I thought, I don't know that I know anything about dirt. And luckily, he does. And yeah, so, he brought it. Yeah. So my point being is that there's, there's an episode out there for you on a topic you don't know anything about. Pick the weirdest one. Pick the one that you can't even imagine oh why you want to listen. Grab that episode and then sit down with your mom and listen to it with her because she misses oh. you. And, uh, and so call your moms. Uh, pick another episode. Rate, write, review. Send Mark some information. He always wants to hear from you. I found the share button. <laughs> Yeah, sh- uh, share that. That's, yeah, that's like the easiest one. It's magic. You just it's hit magic. share. Yeah. Type in someone's name. Is this saving Bob you from, from mugging people now? Because Mark will, is known for just walking up to somebody and grabbing their phone out of their hand and, and, and subscribing to his own show, which I Gu- think is a beautiful move. Guilty as charged, yeah. Your Honor. <laughs> I did it three times over the weekend. I was at a cocktail party and I said, Here, hand me your phone. <laughs> and I said, You listen to podcasts? Oh, yeah, I do. And then I pull the podcasts up and there's no podcast. So they were just lying through their teeth. Yeah. But we love them. Because <laughs> now they're listening to this our episode. show very much. So uh, I would love to hear from you if you've got an idea for a guest or you've got a comment. Uh, if you see me at Vaughn's, just pull me aside and say, hey, Mark, you got to talk to Bob. And then uh, that's how it happens. That's how this show has become such a high caliber show. Drop me a note, mark at 805connect.com. Thank you so much in advance. And until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations. 